Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Luke 17, 3-10 Well, good morning, church. Well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses this morning, if you'll open your Bibles or apps to that. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name's Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here, and we are grateful that you've joined us to worship Jesus, and we hope that's why you're here. Is uh, It's not about us. It's really about who he is, and we're in a series of messages right now through the uh, Gospel of Luke, and we've been looking at what Luke is showing us about Jesus' relentless pursuit of the lost, pursuing the people who needed salvation wanted to connect to God and wanted to be drawn close. And then what is our subsequent response to that relentless pursuit? How are we going to respond to a God who came for us and came after us? Uh, In chapters 9 through chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke, you'll see a turn where Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. It's the final year, final months of his ministry to the world, and he is preparing to be the Passover lamb whose sin or blood will take away the sins of all the world. And Luke is pointing out that his focus is narrowing more and more. You're going to notice in chapters 9 through 19 of Luke that there's this constant uh, back and forth that Jesus is performing where he's talking to the Pharisees and then he's talking to the disciples. And you'll see it expressed there. He turned to the Pharisees and said, he turned to his disciples and said, he's drawing this juxtaposition between the two. Now here in Luke 17, I want you to know that we are going to be talking about a very difficult subject. Jesus draws us into it in an indirect way. But ultimately, I was encouraged after first hour by Michael DeFazio. He said, you just need to put it out in front of us at the beginning. The question of the day is, how can you and I actually do what Jesus is calling us to do? How are we able to do this? You see, when Jesus focuses on the Pharisees, he's identifying for all of us that want to follow him that one of the biggest challenges to being a disciple is self-righteous pride. Now, we all have it. We all have accomplishment in our life that we're proud of. There's nothing wrong with being proud of accomplishing something. But we have to understand, in the kingdom of God, there is nothing we can accomplish that gives us the right to expect to be taken care of by God. The only reason God is good to us is because he is good. We haven't deserved it. It's unearned. And Jesus is showing to the Pharisees who struggle with this self-righteousness that keeps them from hearing him, keeps them from seeing him, keeps them from trusting him, that he's calling out to the world. He's not saying the Pharisees are worthless. He's saying this self-serving pride that guides their lives is keeping them from my kingdom. Don't let it keep you from my kingdom. Make sense? 
So the question of the day is, how can we do what Jesus is asking us to do? And part of it is to eliminate the self-righteous pride. You see, the Jews, we talked about this last week, the Jews had a reason to feel good about themselves. They were Jewish. They were the right nationality, God's special chosen people to be an instrument of introducing his kingdom. They were good people, so they had the right behavior. They lived better than every other nation, heathen nation, so they had the, the right status. And so they felt like God owed them something. They had a self-righteous pride. Yet when I read my Bible, each one of us needs to hear this truth that God is resistant to the pride. God hates pride. God resists pride. God opposes pride. Hmm. Proverbs 3.34, God gives grace to the humble, but God is hostile in opposition to the proud. The proud are not going to win. The self-righteous pride that keeps us from hearing what God desires of us and becoming what God desires of us, God will stand in opposition to this. You're not going to sneak into the kingdom of heaven in a proud manner. So what is the defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus? It is a humility shaped by the gospel. Humility shaped by the gospel. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I'm going to say this multiple times this morning. Because I want it to embed in your minds and hearts what we're talking about. God is not asking us to act humble. He's calling us to be humbled by the gospel. To not play act, to not perform, to not pretend, to not dismiss a compliment is not an act of humility. It's actually disingenuous. I know sometimes it's hard when people compliment you to receive those. And you can be humbled by that compliment like, well, okay, but to dismiss it is disingenuous. You can say thank you, and that's very kind, that's thoughtful. I appreciate that it means something to me. There's nothing wrong with that. What's, what's wrong is when I don't need help, when I don't need guidance, when because I'm better than others, I'm better than most, that, that's a dangerous thing. But humility shaped by the gospel is not pretending to be humble. It's actually understanding the gospel well enough to know that there is nothing in this life I'm deserved of from God. I can't earn a single thing that God gives me. Every gift that God gives me is unearned, undeserved, and a, a gift of his grace. Jesus would say this in Luke 18. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God does the humbling. And the kind of humility that God wants from us comes from his presence in our lives, not from our behaviors or attitudes. So spiritual pride throughout Scripture is a huge issue. Which makes us wonder of our question today, how am I going to be able to do what God wants me to do? It's to be humbled by the gospel. This is why Jesus says in the, the cliff note version of his gospel message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is available to you. Turn from your ways. Turn your mind from what you're pursuing and turn it to the gospel hope of Jesus. And by doing so, my kingdom is open to everyone. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, not those of you who act poor in spirit, but those of you who understand that the only reason you have hope is because God is good, God is kind, and God loved me. You see, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the Old Testament prophet tells us, what does the Lord require of you? But to, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, that's interesting because if you look at that verse up there, you're going to see that acting justly, we get that. We know right from wrong. And we hide when we do wrong because we know it's wrong. And, and we love mercy. Can I have an amen? 
God's mercy is one of the reasons we gather here today, because it's good to be in the mercy of the Lord. But this walking humbly is a challenge. This is why Jesus says in verse 3 of our text today, pay attention to yourselves. So I'm not talking to the group today. I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to me. Because Jesus has warned us. I want you to pay attention. He's telling his audience, listen to me. This really matters. Self-serving, self-righteous pride or being humbled by the gospel truth. So, Jesus was saying to the Pharisees regularly, your salvation by work and ceremony won't save you. Your self-righteousness that says that I, I do the right things and I perform the right ceremonies and I'm the right kind of person, that God will then is contractually obligated to bring me home. Jesus said, no, no, you've totally misunderstood the law and the prophets. That God would have to bring a sacrifice. That God would have to free you from your Egypt by the blood of the Lamb to bring you into the promised land. And nothing the Jews did earned that. So I want to give you, this is one of the great preacher lies of all time. I'm going to give you four points. I'm going to do them quickly. (laughs) All right, so here we go. Here's the first. I'm going to do my best. We are here to demonstrate kingdom loyalty rather than distract others from it. This is really simple. Jesus points it out cleanly in verses 1 and 2. And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Growing up, I often thought, and I don't know if someone taught me this. I probably inferred it, listened to sermons on this or Sunday school lessons on flannel graph boards a long time, and I always picture that God was saying that... Temptations are here, but those who cause children to stumble are in trouble. No, he's actually saying little ones. And if you look at Matthew 18, which is a parallel, it's Matthew's version of this moment in time. Matthew records that he said, these little ones who believe in me. He's talking about young believers. So the answer to the question back in Genesis chapters 3, 4, and 5, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Jesus calls us to be followers that live in such a way that others are led to follow the king, not the world. We are to be a light, not hidden in a bushel or, or turned off until it's convenient for us to turn it on. We're to be a light that shines in the light and the darkness. We're to be a salt that, that gives its flavoring over everything it's at. Because he said a salt that loses its saltiness is just to be thrown back into the ground because it's lost its purpose. So yes, we are our brother's keeper, And what I love that Jesus shows the reality that he gets us. He said, temptations are are sure to come. Jesus lived in our world. He's not telling us, oh no, you just live in this ivory tower and you never get infected by the world and there's nothing in the world that should intrigue you. That's just not true. Every single day we're distracted by sin. Every single day we're enticed by sin. Every single day we are encouraged to sin. And every single day, our culture gives us an excuse to sin and tells us that you're just human. You just can't help yourself. And the gospel changes us. The gospel humbles us. It says, no, I actually became a slave to sin because I brought it into my life. I, I entered into it willfully. This is, this is on me. I did this. No matter what's been done to me, remove all that. What I've done to myself is I have entered into this slavery with sin by my own choice. I made it my master. And then Jesus says to the crowd, when he says, I understand the pressure it is to live in this world and to be holy and called and set apart. 
But he says, but woe to those through whom they come. And this is where his mind goes back to the self-righteousness that's keeping people from seeing who Jesus is. You see, the Pharisees were not people that could not be saved. The Pharisees were people who would not be saved. They were telling the world that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. They were seeing the prophecies fulfilled and denying that they were being fulfilled. They were saying that his power to heal and to do miracles came from Satan. Their self-righteousness kept them from humbling themselves under the power of the gospel. And Jesus was warning, saying, temptations will give you opportunity to silence the gospel. And woe to you who say you're of God, who keep people from seeing Jesus. Underlying pride. We must display kingdom loyalty above everything else. A loyalty that invites others into it as well. Second thing, we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. Our question of the morning is present. How are you and I supposed to do what God's calling us to do? Verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Wow. I mean, seriously, Jesus? In one moment, you tell me you understand that temptations are around me, enticing me, encouraging me, giving me excuses. You're you're showing me this every day. You lived in this world. You understand it. And then you're turning around and saying, if a person sins against me seven times in a single day, I must forgive him? Well, there's a couple of elements here that I want us to see. Humbled followers of Jesus, people humbled by the gospel, not only won't lead people into sin, but people humbled by the gospel understand what the gospel can do for others. And forgiveness is the cherry of the gospel. It's on top. It sits the most beautifully prominent, powerful opportunity. And Jesus is calling us to do hard things. You see, because as Lord of our lives, Jesus gets to ask us to do hard things because of the power of the gospel. How are you and I going to do this? In Luke 11, 4, Jesus says it clearly. Forgive us our sins as we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And then Jesus says we get to rebuke them, right? Now, we don't like to rebuke. I don't like to be rebuked. And because I don't like to be rebuked, I shouldn't have to rebuke someone else. In fact, when was the last time you got a good rebuking? We don't do that. But what does the word rebuke mean? It means to warn or counsel someone's behavior. And I think back on the times in my life I've been rebuked. When my mom would say to my brothers and me, you better stop, your dad's coming home. That was a rebuke. Change course. Straighten up. You know this isn't right. My dad's rebuke was very clean. Boys! And as I've told you many, many times, when Dale started to get out of the chair, the judgment had been rendered. So boys was the rebuke. Knock it off. But we don't rebuke, and you've not been rebuked in a long time, or you haven't listened when they did, because we have a self-righteous pride. Nobody gets to tell an American what to do. Nobody tells me what to feel or think. Hmm. But Jesus said, no, when you love someone, you will rebuke them. And moms... Dads, grandparents, even you've done this to siblings. Can can you sit before God today and say, there was a time in my life I saved a sibling's life. 
One time my brother was spouting off to my dad and my brother Steve reached over and put his hand across Scott's mouth. I tackled Scott. We piled on top of him because if he'd have said one more word, I thought my dad would kill all three of us. (laughs) Scott had no idea we saved him that day. He just kept going. You see, the truth of the matter is a rebuke can save someone's soul. And Jesus said, if someone sins, rebuke them, correct them, tell them, don't drink the poison. Don't buy the lie. Don't think that this physical satisfaction is going to heal the hole in your heart. That's not sitting in judgment on their character. That's calling them out of sin because we believe, don't we, that the gospel does change everything. It offers hope. Notice, though, that the Pharisees loved to rebuke, but it revealed what they thought of the sinner. They loved to shame and demean and ostracize. But Jesus rebuked and forgave. That shows us what he thought of the sin and the sinner. Where a a rebuke can make the person feel worthless, a rebuke that leads to repentance makes them feel valuable and honored and called to something else. You see, the goal is repentance. It's not being right. It's not bringing shame. It's sparing them from sin. Galatians 6 says, those you are spiritual should restore one another. That's the goal of our, of our work here. But seven times in a day, really, Jesus? Honestly? And then I must? Okay, one time I can forgive if someone says they're sorry and they're, go- they're not going to do it again. But they do it a second time and sincerity is under question. And third time and sincerity is under question. And I just get broken by the fact that I can't trust this person, but I want to honor Jesus. And Proverbs 3, 34 says, God gives grace to the humble, and I want the the gospel to humble me. And then I keep hearing these expressions over, as you forgive, you will be forgiven. But preacher, you don't know what they did to me, and I don't. But I know what Jesus can do through you. And one of the pieces that we have to find a gap in, we're going to see in just a moment. But I need you to understand, how in the world are you and I going to do what Jesus tells us to do when it's as big and hard as forgiveness? Remember that God gives grace to the humble. Let's see what that means. Third point today is this. We must continually recognize our own need for the gospel. For you and I to live in the power of the gospel, we must be reminded it's, a, it's not a one-time historic act. That God doesn't just forgive you in a moment and the rest of your life becomes a Disney film. No, God's forgiveness needs to be played out every day of our life. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every morning and every evening so we don't forget the privilege it is to be called God's daughter or to be called God's son. It's a privilege to live under grace. And what got us into the kingdom of heaven had nothing to do with us, so the way we live the rest of our lives in the kingdom should have nothing to do with us. It's only by the power of the grace. You see, what I notice is interesting. In verse 5, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Help. I can't do this. When I hear Jesus teach, I think, okay, I think on my good days I could forgive someone twice in a day. But I'm out at the third time. I'm no one's fool. You're not going to take advantage of me. And they said seven times in a day. And you remember another time Jesus taught him forgiveness? And he said seven times 70 and, or, uh, seven, or seven times. And Peter said seven times. What if I did it eight? And he's like, ah, do it 198 times. And Peter's like, I'm out. 
And what does the disciples say when Jesus gives them something hard to do? Increase our faith. How, how are you and I going to do what Jesus asks us to do when it's difficult? You and I don't have the ability to do it on our own. There's no power in you despite what the world says. There's no level of determination in me that's going to give me the power and ability to forgive someone seven times in a single day. So it can't be in me. It can't be in my community. It can't be in a self-help book. It can't be in anything I've put my security in. This is why I must call out today what you must call out today. Increase my faith. Because when the gospel begins to rewrite who we are, amazing things can happen by the power of the gospel. Jesus said to them, if you had faith like the grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, is this Jesus digging on them? Yeah, I know. They said, increase our faith. And Jesus is like, you guys got nothing. No. It's the same. Listen to me. Your prayer is what I want for you. I want to increase your faith because if you had this much faith, nothing would stop you from doing the great and small things. You could move mountains. And you could forgive someone seven times in a day. It's not in you. It's in the power of the gospel. It's in trusting and believing. They recognized where their hope had to be. It was only in the power of the gospel. This is why we must preach the gospel to ourselves every waking moment, or we will think we become. We become the power. Our intentions become the motives. And it's not. It's the goodness of the gospel. I think of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. That's who we're crying out to today. Increase our faith. And lastly, we're to walk humbly with our God. And this is where that part gets tricky. Remember, we're not supposed to act humble. We're to let the gospel humble us and live at the mercy of the power of the gospel in our lives. Jesus tells an interesting story here. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and drink properly, or dress properly rather, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. There was an elder at the church at Mount Pleasant that Heather and I served at for a couple of decades, and they were wonderful people, just like church parents to this young couple who got married while we started our youth ministry there, had our kids there and everything, and they were wonderful. They were Bob and Barb Coldwell. Bob was a uh, mechanic for the school system in the bus garage, and he drove bus as a substitute and regularly. And when Bob retired from the, the bus garage after 30 years, they had an awards banquet for him, and they announced that in 30 years of driving school bus for the school system in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, Bob never had an accident. He never had a student hurt on his bus. He never had an accident, and they had a big award for him. Bob was a very humble, soft-spoken man, did not like public attention. He walked up to receive his award, and he said, I don't know why you're honoring me. I did what you paid me to do. I love Bob. It was the mic drop of the most gentle form. Nobody knew what to say after that. They were honoring him for, for, for doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And he's like, no, I just, just delivered the kids safely. That's what I was supposed to do. And that humility wasn't an act. 
It was a man who said, no, no, I'm grateful no one got hurt on my bus. I'm grateful there were no accidents. I just did what you said, what you asked me to do. You see, I want to tell you that what would happen in Jesus' day was that if you became dead, I'm going to use this grand figure that horrifies me and maybe it will you. If, if someone owed another person $100,000 and they couldn't pay it back, there were two options for that man. He would go to prisoner or debtor's jail until somebody paid off his loan. And he stayed in jail until it was paid off. Or he could offer to go to the person he owed $100,000 to and say, how can I work it off? And according to the Jewish law of the Old Testament, you could only keep a person in that form of servanthood for seven years. At the end of seven years, they were freed. But think about it with me. This is just simple math. Somebody owes you $100,000 and you can throw them in jail and you still don't have $100,000, nor probably will you ever have it. Or they could come work your fields or serve in your home and pay you back through their labor. And maybe in the seven years that they work for you, they could only return fifty-five dollars or $60,000 every $100,000. That sure beats a stick in the eye, doesn't it? You could take the 60000 and say, I'll cut my losses. At least I receive something back for what he owes me. Or you could simply throw him in jail and nobody's better for that at all. And Jesus says, if the servant says to the owner of the field, I'll work your field. And at the end of the day, he's done what he agreed to do. Should there be a parade? Should there be a grand honor because we keep our word? No. And then he says, Interestingly enough, if you do what you've been asked to do when you enter into the gospel, you serve others, even when I ask you to forgive seven times in a day, isn't that what you agreed to do? Answer's hard. How in the world are you and I going to do what Jesus asked us to do? Because he will increase your faith. But increasing your faith isn't to get you to obey. Increasing your faith is what he does when you obey. It's when you respond. You see, we're not to act humble. We're to let the gospel humble us. And then God does amazing things for the sake of the gospel. But let's go back to seven times in a day. Jesus is brilliant. Because if I say to anybody, Jesus wants you to forgive, yes, he does, and I will. Seven times in a day? He got to the core of our resistance. He, he got us to the end of ourselves where we're like, I can't do that. And I know some of your stories. You can't imagine forgiving, and rightfully so, based on your own power, based on your own hurt, based on the scars you have. You have all the right in the world to look at me and go, I can't forgive one time. They've never been sorry. They, they brought a scar, and someone needs to pay for my scar. I absolutely get that. You are incapable of doing that. But through the power of the gospel and the restoration of your soul and the sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit, I believe Jesus isn't lying. I believe through the gospel he can bring me to a place where my sad, sorry heart can be restored. And forgiving as I've been forgiven is a work of the Spirit. I just have to be a willing servant. I have to step into this, not to act humble, but to be humble. But let's be honest. It's far more comfortable to sit on the throne of judgment. I don't know if you struggle with this, but a lot of us do. When we've been wrong, that becomes a power. I get to mete out justice now. Everyone sees my scar. Everybody knows who gave it to me. 
I now lord it over that person. They have to answer to me now. I'm now in charge. And whether I forgive or not, that's a nice ballast to have. That's a nice control and leverage. I get to be hurt and the hurter. I get to be the person who, who is felt sorry for, and then I get to withhold any sorrow for the person that's paying me back. This is human nature. This is where we struggle with hatred and evil and darkness. And some of you have been so wounded. Your scar is real. We're not dismissing that. But please understand, when the moment comes that the king of kings comes from the throne of judgment where only he gets to sit, and he leaves the throne of judgment, and he comes to earth as a servant, to be betrayed and tortured and murdered and lied about and misbelieved. And he comes down and dies on the cross to show us what forgiveness looks like seven times in a day isn't anything like what he did. And what led Jesus to do that? What power did Jesus have? The willingness to trust the Father, to be led by the Spirit, and to seek God's glory. And in that, he brought forgiveness to everybody in this room and everybody who will never walk in this room. But somehow the Holy Spirit took off our blinders. Don't put them back on. Don't let self-righteous pride keep you from understanding that the power of the gospel can get you to do what you could never imagine doing. And by it, free others like it frees you. The back of the room are some tables with lamps lit on them. So folks are going to head back there right now. Our prayer is very simple today. It's going to sound similar to all of us but it's going to mean something different to every one of us. Our prayer today is, Lord, you have to increase my faith. You have to. Because I can't do everything you're asking me to do by myself. And Jesus says, for the first time, you get the gospel. You're understanding it. I never asked you to do it by your own power. I asked you to do it by the power of the gospel working in you. The power that brings life from death brings hope and despair, brings laughter from mourning. This is who he is. For some of you, you don't understand who he is. I pray right now that you will just take the risk of saying, Jesus, increase my faith by letting me know who you are. And then you get the privilege of following him as a disciple of his, as a follower, as a student, as an apprentice. And he will always guide. We never have to be in charge. Just follow. For some of us, God has asked us to do a big thing and we're stuck because we look at him and we say, I can't. Your prayer today is increase my faith. If you want someone to pray with you this morning, all you have to do is go back to one of those tables or to the prayer center and just say, would you pray that God would increase my faith? And we will. For this entire week, we're gonna go to our father and sit at his feet and say, I have a friend who wants to get closer to you and can't on their own. And this is when God does his most gospel work. Whether you ask for prayer for you, for someone else, it doesn't matter. Jesus wants to increase all of our faith by humbling us with the beauty and power of the gospel. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.